Yeah, welcome to our new series uh, titled Relationship Goals. I'm very excited about this one. I think it's going to be a blessing to you. These messages were somewhat inspired by a message series that a pastor named Michael Todd down at Transformation Church in Oklahoma did. Yeah, we're just ripping off another one of his series. Why not? But here's the thing. Here's my promise to you, okay? I'm not simply going to repeat what he said because he's already said it better than I could. So we're going to shape this content. We're going to make it our own. And I would highly encourage you to do two things. One, go pick up the man's book. Like, it's a really helpful book when it talks about romance and relationships and dating and friendships and all those different things. And if you're broke, then you can just watch his free series of teaching on YouTube. So we're going to go our own direction with the message, but certainly we want to give credit to him. Now, relationship goals. I Actually, I got a hashtag relationship goals. That's one of the most popular ways to kind of promote a post on social media, right? I'm sure that you've seen that hashtag and that phrase that's been used. You might have noticed those words when some boyfriend posts a photo about how hashtag fierce his girlfriend is. You with me? Hashtag woman crush Wednesday, hashtag relationship goals, right? Or maybe you've come across that phrase relationship goals when somebody was talking about a celebrity couple and just how ideal and wonderful and romantic their relationship seems. I mean, Kim and Kanye are hashtag relationship goals, y'all. Oh, too soon? Too soon? You didn't like that one? Hey, that's what happens when you look to the wrong place. Anyway, all right, all right. Even if you've never uttered the phrase relationship goals in your entire life, you've got relationship goals. You have expectations, hopes, dreams, aspirations on what you think an ideal relationship might look like. We all have them. Whether we have considered it or not, whether it is conscious or unconscious, we all have a bullseye that we're aiming towards in our relational lives. We've all got this target that we're trying to hit. So I put a bullseye on the screen. And if you're single, you might say, my bullseye, my relationship goals are like six feet or taller. He's got to be. He's just got to be, all right? He needs to be a homeowner, all right? He needs to have an executive level job. None of this middle management stuff, all right? Never before married. That is my bullseye. That's my target. That's what I'm looking for. No face tattoos. That's a big one, all right? In truth, there are some people that can pull off face tattoos and make them look good, but the, that ain't the majority of us, okay? Most of us cannot, so that's a fair bullseye to be aiming at. If you're married, then your bullseye might simply be a partner who like wants sex with the same frequency as you do. It's a very generous bullseye. It's just like one thing you're looking for in life. We've all got these goals, these targets, these bullseyes that we're aiming towards. And I want you to understand when we're talking about these bullseyes and targets, when we're talking about our relationship goals, that this goes beyond romance. Certainly we're going to be talking a lot about romance and marriage and love and all those things. For goodness sake, tomorrow is Valentine's Day. Fellas, in case you forgot, tomorrow is Valentine's Day. Heads up. Yeah. Whew. Some guy was like, thank you, Pastor Dan. Thank you. Um, Yeah, you're welcome. Look, we're going to be talking a whole lot about romantic relationships, but in truth, the relationship principles that we talk about, they'll apply to every type of relationship you might find yourself in. The same principles that should inform and guide your romantic relationships will also help with your family relationships, your friendships, dealing with your business partners, how you relate to folks in your neighborhood, or even here at church. This, I think, is going to be a really, really helpful series to you. So we talk about this bullseye, these relationship goals that we're aiming at. And I've noticed a couple of things that concern me about our relationship goals in 2022. 
all right? A couple of problems with the target that we seem to be aiming at. The first is that our relationship goals reflect the culture around us. Our relationship goals reflect the culture around us. And that might not be a bad thing in and of itself, but have you noticed that every few years, relationship goals in our society tend to change? The the target tends to shift. It tends to move a little bit over time. So back in the 1950s, there was like this kind of standard bullseye that everybody was aiming at. And the bullseye revolved around stability in the home and like well-defined roles within a marriage and all that stuff. Then the 60s come along and we're like, no, that ain't the bullseye anymore. Now the bullseye is free love, baby. And then in the 70s, the target shifted again, and we thought polyester bell bottoms were sexy. And then the 80s, they shifted in the 90s. It's like every few years, our, rela- our, our society, our, our culture tells us that the relationship goals that we should be pursuing, the bullseye that we should be aiming for, it shifts, it changes, it, it morphs into something else. Now, I need to be really clear here. I'm not saying that we had it right in the 50s and in the 2020s, we're getting it wrong. Listen, the 50s were just as goofy with relationships as we are in this decade as well. The point isn't that time was right and this time was wrong. The problem that we're running into is that you spent your entire formative years growing up being taught this is the bullseye. This is the kind of relationship that you're gonna want when you get old enough to have one. Then when you got to that point in your life, society looked at you and said, ew, nobody wants that kind of relationship anymore. The target has moved. The goals are different than what they once were. And so we have this shifting target. And so it's no wonder that our relationships tend to be unstable. We tend to suffer and struggle because it's hard to hit a moving target. If our goals continue to change year in and year out, then it becomes really, really difficult for us to hit that bullseye. So what we need is a bullseye that transcends the fads of our day. We need a target that is consistent, stable, steady, something that will actually produce fulfillment in our relational lives. A target that we're all aiming towards, that you and your spouse can be actively shooting towards. Now, you're not gonna, you're gonna think this is crazy. I know some of you are gonna tune me out the moment I say this, but I actually do believe that that target is found in the Bible. The scriptures offer us the healthiest bullseye to aim at in our relational lives. It really does. Now, I wanna remind you of what I said a couple of weeks ago in our How Not to Read the Bible series, because there are some people who will say, well, the Bible can't possibly offer us a healthy picture of what a good relationship looks like. Have you ever read it? It's full of like polygamy and adultery and like all sorts of crazy stuff. And you're right. But remember what we said a few weeks ago, the Bible is not like a particular snapshot of one culture at one period in time. It was written over thousands of years by different cultures, it's written in different languages, it encompasses different values. And so the the value or the, the good thing that the scripture offers us is a wide scope of the very best and worst of relationships throughout human history. It really does. If you read the scripture, it'll give you some of the dumbest ideas we've ever come up with. Wouldn't it be great if we had a whole bunch of wives? Like, I feel like that would, no, it doesn't work out. Not at all. Not at all. It's a bad idea. Wouldn't it be great if we could just like, no, it doesn't work. The scripture gives us the bad and it also does give us the good. Here are the relationships that tend to produce the happiest, most fulfilling uh, couples or circumstances. So the scripture offers us this wide range. It's not a particular snapshot. That's what our culture offers us today. 
It's just like one snapshot in time with the values of 2022. The scripture offers us something much deeper. But beyond that, the Bible also offers us, I believe anyway, the benefit of divine guidance. A little bit of help that goes beyond what your mama says or what Instagram says about what makes for a healthy, fulfilling relationship. So why would we ignore it? I think it's part of the problem that we have in our world today. Now, if you are skeptical of that, I totally understand. I was skeptical of this. I wasn't always a Christian. First time I heard a pastor talking about this, I'm like, what does this fool even know? I don't even think he's allowed to be married. I didn't know the difference between a pastor and a priest anyway. It was a mess, all right? But the more I started to listen, the more I started to realize there's real wisdom in here. And even if you can't agree with everything that I might say in terms of relationships in the Bible and things, I think if you'll stick with me over the next few weeks, you're going to see some healthy wisdom to get you to a better place in your relational life. So the first problem that I see anyway is that uh, our relationship goals, they reflect an ever-changing culture. But the second problem that we run into is that if I were to ask you to define your relationship goals, you would do what everybody does. You would define your relationship goals in terms of your ideal partner, okay? You would start to describe who they are, what they look like, what they have, what they do for you, that sort of thing. Your target, your bullseye is them. It's him or it's her. And I do believe that's problematic because as we're going to see from the scripture, it might just be that the best relationships don't start with him or her as the target or the goal. They start with me as the goal. That if, if I'm the bullseye, if I'm the target that I'm working for, at least before the person comes, then we're going to have a happier, healthier marriage, relationship, whatever, when that person actually does show up. Maybe our big mistake has been ignoring what the scripture tells us should happen before the person comes along. That's our message title for today, Before the Person. And the reason that we're talking about this because there's this incredible passage from Genesis chapter number two, really famous scripture, obviously. It's the creation of Adam and Eve. And I wanna read it. And although it is very familiar, and many of you have read this a whole bunch, I'm wondering if maybe today you won't catch a new insight about Adam and Eve's relationship and how that might help you in your relational life as well. Genesis chapter number two, we'll put verses eight and nine on the screen here. I want you to follow along with me. The Bible says, Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man that he made. I want you to highlight that word placed in the passage. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful, that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden he placed, there's that word again, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If we jump down to verse 15, we read, it was then that the Lord God placed, there's that word, the man in the garden of Eden to, why? Tend and to watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, then you are sure to die. In verse 16, we read, uh, 18 rather, then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. So I will make him a helper who is just right for him. See, a lot of times we just kind of, we read Genesis 1, which is a condensed version of like the creation story. And it's like, oh, boom, day six, Adam, Eve, happily ever after, right? But verse, or chapter two rather gives us the extended version. And essentially there is a whole lot that happens in Adam's life and circumstances before Eve ever comes along. 
There is a lot that God does in Adam and around Adam before he is ready for the person to come along. So let me give you kind of the roadmap, the the things that we're gonna be walking through in our message this morning. Before Adam ever had a person, before Adam ever had a person, he had a place, he had a purpose, and he had parameters or boundaries. I, I couldn't think of another good piece, so I'm a pastor. I got to keep the alliteration going. He had a person. Before he had a person, he had place, he had purpose, and then he had parameters. So let's talk about that place for a moment. Three separate times in these short verses that we read this morning, the scripture highlights God placing Adam and very important strategic things in the garden, placing it there. Now, when the Bible mentions a word that many times in such a short section, we need to pay attention. It's not like the author of Genesis was just like, he didn't have a very big vocabulary and they didn't have thesauruses back then. So he just like place, place, place. He just keeps using the same word because he can't think of a better one. No, The word is in there that many times in that short of a section because we're supposed to pay attention to it. The word is used strategically to help us understand what's going on here in the passage. The scripture tells us that God placed Adam in the garden. God placed Adam exactly where he was supposed to be so that he could get ready before the person ever came. God placed him there on purpose. Before God gave him the right person, God gave Adam the right place in life. Now, when I'm talking about place, I do mean geographically, like God placed him in the garden, but I also mean God placed him in the proper stage of maturity, readiness, and development for that person to come along. We've got both meanings here behind this word place. Now, Amber and I, we, we understand place a little bit. We've been dealing with this in our own personal lives for a couple of years. We've lived out in Skyview Ranch in the Northeast, which has been awesome. But for a long time, we've been talking about moving downtown. So we're moving to a downtown neighborhood. We're going full booze, you guys. We're just going to embrace it. We're looking at all the hipster communities, you know, around the downtown core. We're just, I don't know, it's who we are. I, I'm not even going to deny it anymore. So we've been going around and we've been visiting all of these different places that are available, right? Town homes and apartments and homes and all this different stuff. And so you go and you visit and you walk through the house, you make a list of all the stuff that you like. And then you whisper over in the corner about the stuff that you don't like because you don't want to offend who might be your future potential landlord. And uh, when we get done, we get in the car and we always have the same conversation. The conversation is, so what do you think? Is this a place that we would want to live in? And right now in our life, we have the luxury of saying yes or no to that. Yes, I could totally see myself living in that place. I want to live in this place. Or no, I would never live in that Roach Motel, right? We have that luxury. But life doesn't always give you that luxury. Usually, you are at a place in your life due to circumstances that are beyond your control. It's almost like you've been placed in the place that you're in. You have no control over where you were born or the family that you were born into or the abilities or disabilities that you have. You may not have any real control over the place that you live today or the job that you have. You may have had to say yes to a job that you didn't really want because the bill's gotta get paid, right? So what ends up happening is we often feel like we don't have control over the place we've been placed in, and so we resent our place. And we say, oh, I can't wait until I get out of here. I can't wait till I get to the next stage. I can't wait until I get the next promotion. I can't wait until I move into the new neighborhood. I can't wait until my circumstances change so then I can be happy. Or God, even if my place doesn't change, at least send me a person that will make me happy in this place. That's not the pattern that God has set up here in Genesis. And it's not the pattern that I think God wants us to live by either. Rather than resenting the place we are, 
We should do what Adam did and recognize we have been placed in our place by God. That I am where I am because God wanted me here. Listen, I understand that life may not be your circumstances, your particular place. It may not be exactly what you wanted or expected in this moment. But if you have confidence that God has a good plan that he's working out for your life, you start to look at your place from a different perspective. So that, you know, you live here in Calgary and you're kind of like, oh, I've always wanted to go back to Saskatoon or I want to move out to Vancouver or whatever the case may be. But listen, you have been placed in this season in Calgary because there is something that God wants to do in your life. There is something he is trying to develop inside of you. And for whatever reason, it's not going to happen out in Toronto. It's only going to happen here in Calgary. And so you start to embrace the place where you've been placed. The school that you're at, do you realize you're there because God has orchestrated your life circumstances so that you would be there in that program? Yeah, I know that like all your friends went to a different school and this was really your second choice, not even your first choice. All of that might be true, but we start to have a confidence that God has a sovereign plan, a good plan for every single one of us. And so we don't resent our place. We start to develop a confidence that I am where I'm supposed to be for a reason. So rather than resenting it and trying to get out, rather than constantly striving and looking for the next thing that's gonna make me happy, we recognize that changing the place really doesn't change us. Instead, we look or we consider our place with a different perspective, a different lens, a different mindset. We say, okay, wait now. This may not have been the place that I chose. Remember, Adam was placed there. He didn't say, hey, God, put me in that garden you made over there. That sounds pretty cool. He was just put there. So we recognize I've been put here. These are circumstances beyond my control. But because I trust God, because I, have, I believe he has a good plan, then I'm going to learn to be confident in where I'm at. Now, I'm not saying that you should never strive to change your situation. Like if things are bad, you shouldn't just resign yourself to your, your circumstances. So if you live in a hole, go find a nicer place to live, all right? But there is this confidence, this belief that my life is being directed and guided by God. And so if I find myself at a particular place in life, I trust that there is a reason for that placement in this season. So God gives Adam a place, a confidence that he's where he's supposed to be in this moment before the person came along. Not only does uh, does God give Adam a place, he gives him a purpose, a purpose. In verse 15, why was Adam placed in the garden? The scripture says so that he could tend the garden and watch over it. That was his purpose. He was a cultivator. He was placed in the garden so he could take the raw gifts of God and then develop them, call out their full potential. He brought order and beauty and meaning to the world around him. Adam had purpose before he ever had person. Adam had purpose before he ever had purpose. So you know where this is going, right? Listen, the healthiest relationships are formed when two people who have a strong and harmonious sense of their own purpose in life come together. The healthiest relationships happen when two people who have a strong and harmonious sense of their own purpose independent of one another come together. Now listen, if we ask most people, do you know what your purpose is in life? Most people are going to say, oh, totally. I know exactly what my purpose in life is. My purpose in life 
is to, and then fill in the blank. My purpose in life is to be a mom. I've always wanted it. That is my purpose. No, my purpose is to be a CEO. No, my purpose is to travel the world. My purpose is to get a record deal, whatever it is, right? We talk about our purpose, but can I challenge you to understand those are not your purpose. Those are your goals. And goals are different than purpose. Goals are different than purpose. One of the biggest mistakes we make is uh, confusing or conflating goals and purpose as the same thing. See, goals are tied to your circumstances. They're tied to what is happening in life. And goals will change over time. But your purpose should not change. It's got to be more foundational. It's got to be independent from the circumstances that are going on in your life. Let me explain. If you say that your goal is to be a CEO, that is my goal, or a CEO, um, what happens, what happens when you become a CEO? Like, oh, I did it. I accomplished my purpose. Well, now you don't have a purpose anymore because the goal was to be a CEO. Now you're there. So you're left to invent a new purpose for your life. Or, you know, at some point they're going to force you out. The board is going to say you got to retire or, you know, the, we've had too bad of a performance. You got to go. And so you're not going to be a CEO anymore. When we define our purpose according to circumstances, our circumstances can change and that leaves us feeling purposeless. Or what happens if you define your purpose as some goal in life, like maybe being a mom, that's a great example. And then you find out that you can't have kids. When the doctor gives you that diagnosis, you know what you're left feeling? Purposeless. Ask me how I know. When we tie our purpose or we confuse our purpose with goals and tie it to our life circumstances, then we're no better than that shifting target we were talking about in the beginning. It's constantly moving. It's not something that is going to actually satisfy. It's not something that we can pursue. So don't define your purpose in terms of your goals. Instead, define your purpose as something that is independent of your circumstances. Can I tell you what my purpose is in life? My purpose is not to be the pastor of Connect Church. That is not why God put me here. I love being your pastor. This is my favorite part of my week. I get such joy from pastoring this congregation. That is not why God put me here. You know how I know that? Because there were years, 35-ish years of my life, where I was not the pastor of Connect Church. And guess what? There's going to come a day in which I am no longer the pastor of Connect Church. Hopefully I'm going to be 70, but you know, like that day is eventually going to come. So did that mean if my, if my purpose was to be the pastor, then when I wasn't yet the pastor, I wasn't accomplishing my purpose. And when I'm no longer the pastor, then I'm no longer accomplishing my purpose. No, I define my purpose as what John chapter number 10, verse 10 says, to live or experience life overflowing in Jesus every single day. In John 10, 10, Jesus says, there is a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says about himself, he says, my purpose, Jesus has a purpose. He says, my purpose is to give them a life that overflows with God's goodness. So that's my purpose. I want to experience that every day. And can I tell you, I am able to experience life overflowing no matter what my life circumstances are. I can experience life overflowing whether I'm a pastor or a postman. I can experience life overflowing in Calgary or California. I can experience life overflowing whether I'm 17 or I'm 70, whether I'm married or God forbid death parts us, whether I have kids or I don't have kids. Independent, irregardless of my life circumstances, I can still accomplish my purpose. Why? Because life purpose is bigger than current circumstances. 
And part of the struggle that we see in our relationships is that we don't even understand purpose. We get two people who don't really know who they are and why they're here on earth, and they're looking to one another to give them meaning, and it just falls apart because that wasn't the plan. That's not the pattern. Instead, we discover our purpose before the person ever comes along. Before Eve ever showed up, Adam understood his purpose, his reason for being here on earth. So let me ask you, how confident are you in your purpose? Not your goals. I know you've got your 10-year plan and all that stuff. What about your purpose, your reason for existing? One of the very best things you can do for your future dating life, marriage, whatever it may be, is to have a strong sense of your own purpose in life. And then if you find somebody else that has that, and you guys are both aiming towards the same target, whoo, it is going to be good. All right, before Adam ever had a person, God gave him a place, he gave him a purpose, and then he gave him parameters. In the garden, God gave Adam boundaries. He said, you can eat from any tree in the garden you want, except this one. This one is out of bounds. This one is over the line. Do not eat from this particular tree. Why did God set up those boundaries for Adam? Is it because God is like a fun blocker? He's a buzzkill. He doesn't want us to have a good time. No, God sets up boundaries for the exact same reason that every parent sets up boundaries for their children. We need healthy parameters in order to flourish. We have to have strong and healthy boundaries in order for life to be what it is meant to be. Cars need brakes, property needs fences, and people need to be able to say no to themselves and to one another. Those are all types of boundaries that we place. Now that goes, that whole idea, it goes against our modern sensibilities. Because in 2022, we've defined freedom and, and by freedom, we mean either life without boundaries or the ability to draw our own boundaries wherever we see fit. We've defined freedom as the ultimate goal. The best life you can live is the one without any rules or the rules that you choose to impose on yourself. That is the way that our modern world thinks, but that's not the way the scripture talks about uh, rules, boundaries, and freedom. See, true freedom is not living without boundaries. True freedom is living without regret. True freedom is not living without boundaries. That's impossible anyway. And if you try it, you're going to end up with a bunch of regret. See, we look at boundaries and rules as if they're like constraining. It's, a, it's shackles. It's slavery. Oh, no, cast it off. Go be you. Pursue your own truth. Do whatever makes you happy in life. If you do that, you will eventually end up living a life that is full of regret. See, the boundaries that God placed for Adam, the boundaries that God places for us, they are designed to help us live without regret. Because if we choose to live without boundaries, we'll end up living with a lot of regret. And regret is just another form of slavery. So God wants you to live in true freedom without regret. The Apostle Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, verse 23. He said, and he's writing to Christians, he says, You say, I'm allowed to do anything. And he's like, yeah, but not everything is good for you. You say, I'm allowed to do whatever I want. True, but not everything is beneficial. See, true freedom is not saying yes to everything. It is the ability to say no to anything that wouldn't be good for you. That is how the scripture defines freedom. And that's why the boundaries that God drew for Adam are in place. And that's why the boundaries are in place for me and you. Before you ever get a person in your life, you should really work on developing healthy standards for yourself. Wise financial parameters to live by. Before the person ever shows up, Get your financial life in order. Strong, healthy 
biblical sexual boundaries. Just put them in place now so that it's one less thing to worry about later. Learn life-giving communication skills. Learn how to communicate well and healthy today so that it's not a battle that you have to fight once you say, I do. Now, look, I'm not saying that, like, you have to do all of these things before you're going to get your person. And the reason you haven't got your person yet is because you haven't learned all of these things, so God is kind of punishing you. No, that's not the point. There are plenty of people. In fact, most people in our world jump into relationships, and they don't have any of that in place. But can I challenge you to consider, particularly if you're single, if you're still single, that God is not punishing you by withholding a relationship. God is protecting you by withholding a relationship so that you can develop some of these healthy parameters In that way, your relationship will be healthier, stronger, more stable in the future. That God actually uses, he wants us to use this season to develop healthy parameters. Because once you add another person to the mix, it doesn't get easier, it gets harder. Ask anybody who is or has been married. Are financial boundaries harder or easier when a second person has access to the bank card? It's a heck of a lot harder. Amen. Don't nudge your wife, fellas. That was messed up. I saw a couple of you like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, listen. Are are healthy sexual standards harder or easier when there are two people with needs and desires now in the bedroom? They're a heck of a lot harder. Is it harder or easier to live out a healthy routine? to have a schedule with a proper work-life balance when there's only one person putting their stuff on the calendar or when there's two people or two or three more little people putting their stuff on the calendar. Listen, the parameters only get harder to keep once you start adding other people to the equation. So the goal then is to use this season to set up some healthy boundaries for yourself so that you don't run into a lot of the problems that you see in relationships in the world around you. The truth is, and I'm just going to be honest with you here. I want to be kind, okay? I'm not going to get up here and like give you like these cliches and platitudes like singleness is a gift. You don't even know how good you have it right now. Uh, I, we would trade places with you in a heartbeat. No, that's not true. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. But listen, can I tell you something? Cliches are cliches because they're true. And, and when people say, listen, you, you've got a unique opportunity in front of you right now to do some things for yourself that once the right person comes along, the opportunity is going to disappear. You actually won't have the same opportunity ever again. So yeah, it's cliche. And yeah, I know you're sick of hearing it. And yeah, you've done some work on this already. Keep going. Keep doing the work. While you're in this season, focus on developing these healthy parameters. Focus on cultivating your purpose, your reason for being. Learn to be comfortable and confident in the place that God has put you because all of that should come before the person comes along. If you can get those P's in place before the final person does show up, then you will be in a much better place. The reason that all the married people kind of smile and chuckle and sweat a little bit during message series like this is because we got so focused on getting the person here that we ignored all the preparation work that God wanted us to do. I'm just talking about the Sueza household for a minute. We got married and I wasn't comfortable in my place. We got married and I had no parameters. I had no business getting married, but anyway, it's another story. 
I didn't fully understand my purpose. I thought it was tied to what I produced and what I accomplished. And it's taken me years and therapy to be able to get to that point. And so when married people are like begging you, please, you have such an opportunity, it's because we really don't want you to make the same mistakes that, that we did as well. Before the person, at least the pattern that's established in scripture, before the person, there should be a confidence in place. There should be a, an understanding of purpose and there should be strong parameters that will give you the foundation, the fertile ground that you need for a healthy relationship. Maybe we could frame it like this, you know. Um, our world, we, we tend to take our, our relationship cues and stuff from like Instagram and Disney cartoons and stuff. And what happens in those is um, when you meet the right person, you finally fall in love, you overcome all the hurdles and the obstacles and you get to the altar, you say, I do. And then we say, from then on, they all lived happily ever after. Wise people don't talk about happily ever after. They talk about happily ever before. Wise people talk about happily ever before. Happily ever before leads to happily ever after. But if you never do the before work, there will be no happily ever after. I can promise you that, at least not without great heartache and great hardship. Maybe another way to, to think about this, and I got to wrap up. Um, Adam had a God-provided identity before he ever had Eve. He had a strong sense of who he was, why he was here, and what really mattered in life. Before Eve ever showed up, before the person ever came, he had this confidence in who he was and why, why it was that he was here. And I just believe that God wants to give you the same confidence as well. He really does. God wants to give you the confidence that relationships can work. You can win in romance and in business and with your family. You can. But we have to take our eyes off of the moving bullseye and relationship, hashtag relationship goals that we see in the world around us. And instead, we've got to start to look at something a little bit different. And if we do, then we will experience something a little bit different. Hey, let me tell you one final thing. The, the way to experience happy, healthy, lifelong relationships with people is to have a healthy, happy relationship with God. That horizontal relationships are really born out of vertical relationship. The, the closer, more intimate, the more connected you are to your creator, the better your relationships with other people are going to be. And so I'm going to challenge you, whether you're married or you're single, whether you're loving your love life or you're hating and resenting your love life at this point, to focus on this and then allow God to help you to take care of this. To say, okay, I've been aiming at these uh, cultural targets, but you know what? I'm going to try for something different. I'm going to ask God for something different and then see what he might not bring about in your life. Mm -hmm.